Hello, welcome to Flour, Butter, Eggs, Sugar. My name is Kate and I'm the host of this podcast, which is all about home baking um, and it's by Home Baker and it's recorded in my little kitchen in London. So welcome, welcome, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. This week I'm continuing to talk about pastry because that's the theme of the month uh, in May and I'm going to be talking about making creme patissiere um, following a listener request partly. Also, I was just curious to try it out myself. Um, I'm also going to be talking about some passion fruit cream puffs uh, that I made with shoe pastry. Uh, and I'm going to be talking about uh, what else? I'm going to be talking about how, using some the same creme pat in um, a Danish pastry recipe. And I'm also going to be uh, talking briefly about a little chocolate pudding that I made this week. Um, And (laughs) if that wasn't enough, um, I'm going to be giving you a little bit of a baking guide to British ingredients. Uh, So a little British baking guide. Um, So we've got quite a packed episode and I can't wait to get started. Okay, so I'm going to be starting by talking a little bit about British baking. So um, maybe about six months too late, but I was looking at my uh, listener figures and a lot, the majority of people listening actually are in the US, um, which is interesting. It shows me that none of my British friends are listening, which I'm going to hold them responsible for. I'm just joking. It's fine. Um this is the thing is that I wanted to start this podcast because actually um, most of my friends are not as obsessed with baking as I am. Uh, So it's a bit of an outlet for me to talk to people about like all of my little baking projects and how much I'm enjoying them. And it just, it just brings, brings me happiness. Um, And I've tried, I think more new things as a result as well um, of the podcast. So uh, yeah, I've really been really been enjoying making it. Um, but as a result of that, I was thinking, am I being sort of inclusive enough um, in the way that I'm sharing recipes, in the way that I'm speaking on the pod? And I had a little bit bit of feedback um, saying that uh, you might like a little bit more detail. Um, so about the different ingredients that I use and the differences between British and American baking. Um, So here we go. Uh, Apologies if you know some of this already, because if you listen to, rather, if you watch rather, um, the Great British Baking Show, or as we call it here, um, the Bake Off, um, you might already know some of this stuff. Um, But there might be some stuff in here that you might not be as familiar with. So um, I'm going to crack on. So I'm going to start with the base, you know, the basics of all kind of non-vegan traditional baking, which 
is uh, which are also the uh, which is also the like title of the podcast that's why I called it that um so I'll start with flour so we most often use something called plain flour which is very similar to all purpose but it's it's probably in most cases slightly lower in protein um so we don't have cake flour that's not a thing here so when we're making cakes or when we're making things that we want to be uh fluffy we just use plain flour um and i think that it might be true to say that less of our flour is bleached um so that's not as much of a thing here um and because our flour is often lower in protein which makes kind of fluffier cakes it, it's it's not as good if you want a kind of high gluten bread. So if you're making things like pizza dough or sourdough maybe, or, you know, a bread that you want to be quite robust um, to hold all of the little bubbles that from the, from the um, yeast doing its thing, we actually would use imported flour sometimes for that. So I buy bags of Canadian uh, flour, which is like really, really high in protein. I think it's about 14%. Um, so that I've got that in stock if I need a, a high pr- protein flour. But yeah, we, we don't really have, um, it's, it's, it's due to our farming and our land, um, our flour is not that high in protein. Um, and also a fun fact is that we grow quite a lot of wheat in the in East Anglia. So we do actually produce quite a lot of our own wheat, but um, it's, yeah, like I say, it's slightly different um, in, in, in the way, the way it, uh, yeah, in its effect in baking. Um, so next is butter. So as you probably already know, our butter is much higher in fat. So it's typically around 80 to 83% fat. You can buy like all sorts of different margarines, all sorts of different blends. Um, I often will use um, a Lurpak uh, spread, which is sort of butter with a little bit of oil in it to help make it easier to spread on toast. Um, That's the other thing is we're absolutely obsessed with toast. We think basically toast is just a meal. it's just like grilled bread um but yeah so but but in baking i will always use um the kind of normal butter which is just butter it's not mixed with anything it's not cut with anything there's not much water in it and that's why it's higher in fat um so if you're you know using recipes from european and including british bakers then you kind of want to try if you can to find European style butter I know a lot of uh, Americans uh, use Kerrygold which is great but whatever you can get your hands on really like Danish butter is lovely Um, we have a lot of good butter here to be honest in Britain so Um, but you just want that high fat content and you don't want too much water in it Having said that, the importance of that does depend on the recipe. So it's much more important in pastry recipes than it is, for example, in a cake recipe. Okay, so next is eggs. 
Um, so ours are our sizes are different. So our medium eggs are would be large in the US and our large eggs would be extra large in the US. And at the moment I've been using quite a lot of large eggs. So I apologize if that's kind of inconvenient for you to find them because they would be extra large in the US. But the other thing I try is I, I try to include the weights. So um, 70 grams would be an extra large egg here. Uh, 60 grams would be a large egg here or an extra large egg in the US. 50 grams ish is a medium egg here um, or a large egg in the US. 40 grams would be a small egg uh, here and I think probably a medium one in the US roughly. Uh, I'm sure it does vary a bit um, and obviously they're not exact because all eggs are different but those are the sort of rough standards uh, that we have here um, and we I think part of that is that we follow EU standards despite Brexit, <laughs> we're still following EU standards. So it's the same across Europe. So I think if you're going to use like French recipes or Italian recipes, it's probably the same actually. The eggs are, are the following particular standard sizes. In terms of what kind of eggs I like to use, obviously I'm using hen's eggs. I'd specify if I was using duck or quail or something. Um, and my favourite are um, Clarence Court, which it's <laughs> sounds silly saying it, but they really are made on royal land. The fact that we have a monarchy is embarrassing to me, but they actually really are ma made on royal land, and they are. I think they might even be owned by Prince Charles, so it is as ridiculous as that. Um, in this country <laughs> there's another really good brand which I've seen around called St Hughes um so and I just really like the richness of the yolks of St Hughes and of um the Mabel Perlman's eggs uh they have really really gorgeous rich yolks which make really nice nice like yellow custard because the yolks are kind of like this beautiful orange color um, and then finally, in terms of the, the uh, ingredients that make up the title of this podcast, is sugar. Um, so we use caster sugar most often in baking, which is the equivalent of superfine in the US. Um, it's just slightly finer than granulated, which means it just dissolves slightly more easily uh, in cakes and biscuits and etc., um, but in most cases you can substitute granulated. Um, I'll try and be clear where not, where you need to try and get hold of superfine. But yeah, in most cases you can, you can substitute, substitute granulated. And the other thing is you can slightly, you can grind your sugar slightly down, um, to make it slightly finer in a food processor. So that's quite helpful to know, but you want to be careful because if you take it too far, you'll get well, you'll make icing sugar or powdered sugar uh, rather than making making super fine. Um, and I've mentioned golden caster sugar quite a lot, which I wasn't doing that consciously. Uh, it's what I use. I 
been buying it for years. I don't really know if it makes any difference. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, it just looks nicer. And I think it's just got very, 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 very slightly, uh, it's just got a very slight bit of molasses in it to make it golden rather than using completely refined um, sugar. But it, yeah, I've when I've not been able to get hold of it and I've used white castor or white superfine, it doesn't make any difference really. <laughs> I think it's just, I just like the look of it, to be honest, on the shelf. So that's golden castor sugar for you. Um, okay, and then in terms of other sugars, so icing is just powdered sugar, icing sugar. Um, granulated is cheaper to get here actually by gram, uh, by weight. And it's something that we tend to use more in like coffee. We can't, we do buy it, but we don't use it as much in baking. Um, I think brown sugars are the same, but correct me if, if I'm wrong, like you get light brown sugar, dark brown sugar, and it's the same in terms of all it means is that it's got a little bit of molasses added back into it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's the same, I think. Um, so we don't flour butter, egg sugar, and we're going to get into a couple more ingredients now. So golden syrup, which is related to sugar, um, it's a sweetener, is incredible stuff. Um, actually, I'm really quite evangelical about it. Uh, I think it's slightly thicker than corn syrup. Um, from memory when I've tried corn syrup or when I've used it. Um, it's, and I think, I don't really understand why it's not um, prevalent in the US. And I think that you guys should start producing it. Um, because all it is, is, is simply a byproduct of sugar production. It is not some kind of like posh, expensive artisan ingredient. It is what come. It's a waste product, basically, of sugar production, but it's absolutely delicious. It's incredibly versatile. It's so useful in lots of different things. Um, and as you may well know, like Lyles is the biggest brand, but I literally just use own brand because um, it's the same stuff. It's just as good. I just use supermarket own brand garden syrup it tastes exactly the same and the quality is exactly the same. So I think it's a thing that you need to start producing. Um, there's lots of things that we know we just, we need to start producing and importing as well. Um, so that, you know, it goes both ways in terms of cream and, and milk products. So as you've probably gathered, I am a big, 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 big fan of fat. And it, I mean, it's, obviously packed full of flavor isn't it fat it creates really like soft consistency in lots of different bakes um so it's especially things like enriched doughs pastry uh sauces it makes them taste more rich um it leads to flakier pastries blah 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 so i love fat um and we have a different way of categorizing cream here so our what i call double cream i think the closest equivalent is heavy cream but it's 48 percent fat or higher 
I was using one the other week that was literally like 52% fat and it was all the better for it. It was incredible. Um, I absolutely love it. And that's the, that's the thing that I will use the most often is, is double or heavy cream. Um, we have single cream, which is typically around 18% fat. I think maybe the closest is pouring cream. By the way, we also have something called pouring cream and I've never understood the difference. And when I've looked at them in the supermarket, they look the same. So anyone that lives in Britain who actually understands that if there's a difference to please let me know. Um, clotted cream, um, I've mentioned as well on the pod, that's around 55% fat. It's incredibly high in fat. You can get, even get it higher than that. And it's, so it's basically like a cross between cream and butter. You can spread it like it's it's a spreadable consistency. It's not pouring consistency, even even without being whipped. It's literally just um, is like is like a spread, um, and and that's something that we you know typically have on on scones um, or scones. They're pronounced pronounced different in different parts of Britain. Um, but it's good with strawberries. Uh, we like, yeah, we, we, we love a bit of clotted cream. I also like it um, around Christmas time. Uh, I like brandy clotted cream. I'm, I was get I got really into that last year. Um, so it's, it's really quite wonderful stuff. Um, something we don't use as much is buttermilk. Um, obviously that's used quite a lot in American baking, isn't it? But it's used a bit more in Irish baking, obviously, particularly in soda bread, but in other things too. Um, and that's something that we are really like confused by here is that a lot of people who aren't really, really keen bakers, they think that buttermilk is going to be this like rich ingredient. And then they are very disappointed to find out that it's basically thin yogurt. Um, but obviously the tang of buttermilk is great. The acidity is really useful. Um, so it's great for soda breads, muffins, pancakes. You don't really need me to tell you that. Um, it is great stuff. We don't, but yeah, we don't use as much of it here. You can get it though. Um, and then in terms of milks, we have a, we also have a different way of categorizing milks. So I think that yeah, like, typically they're categorized by percentage in the US, which I think is an incredibly sensitive, sensible way of doing it, by the way. Um, we call them whole milk. I think maybe the same is used elsewhere, but it's 3.5% fat usually. We have something called semi-skimmed, which is 2% fat. We have skimmed, which is 0.3% fat, so really, really low in fat. And we also have something called gold top, um, which is called gold top because the top of the bottle is literally a gold lid. Well, not literally gold, but a golden coloured lid. It's plastic. Um, and that's basically like higher in fat than whole milk. So it's like whole milk with a bit of cream stirred through it. And that's around 5% fat. And that stuff is absolutely lovely for making enriched breads, by the way. Um, so it's really cracking stuff. It's also just good in like milkshakes um, or to just drink on its own. Uh, if you're me. So um, that's that's really wonderful stuff. It doesn't keep very well gold top because it's because of the fat 
content. But anyway, um, and even in yoga, even when I'm using yoga, by the way, I'm using really high fat yoga. So a lot of recipes that call for natural yoga, I will instead usually opt to use Greek. That is partly though just practical because my partner um, will eat granola and yogurt for breakfast most days and she prefers Greek. So that's what we have in the house is Greek style yogurt. Um, it's very easy to get hold of my area because it's easy to get hold of anyway here, but particularly in my area, like because I live in a sort of Cypriot area, so there's a lot of Greek style yogurt. Um, and then also, even I was thinking about this and I, I was like, because even my oat milk, obviously not, not dairy, um, but even the oat milk that I have is really high in fat. So I'm, clearly I've got a bit of an obsession with things that are high in fat. Um, I use a brand called Oatly Whole, which I think is a Swedish brand and most often when I can get hold of it. And I looked at the packet and it's 3% fat. Um, but it just is so much better in tea. Um, I have taken to start drinking it in tea um, and I have it on cereal, have it in porridge, um, things like that. So yeah, but even my even when I'm not using dairy milk, I still use a high fat oat milk, which I think is kind of funny. Right, nearly there. There's just a couple more things I wanted to mention. So I've been asked about vanilla sugar. Uh, that is a Scandinavian ingredient that I buy from a specialist Scandinavian shop, actually. Um, it's not actually that common here, and you can just substitute ex uh, vanilla extract or bean paste. It's not a British uh, ingredient. Just to round off this segment, I just want to acknowledge how a lot of the things that are good about Britain are actually things that are better in Europe. <laughs> and that is true of baking I mean in, I mean like mainland Europe south of here uh actually also northern no also no also like north and east of here as well uh, like Scandinavia so yeah so whether it's baking or other things often there are things that are done good well here but they're done better elsewhere so like functioning public transport system right this is something that every country should have especially in a on a dying planet and i think ours is better than some countries but it is nowhere near as good as mainland europe it is nowhere near as good as places like germany and we really need better trains um our national health service it's great but it's not as good as france's right it's <laughs> like this is something that every every civilized country should have. And I'm sorry to bring politics into it, but like this is something that every country that can afford it should have. It's just normal that you should like care for people when they're dying. Um, or when they're seriously ill or whatever. Even when they've just like got a toothache, we should be caring for them. Which mm, dentistry isn't as good here. And that's a stereotype that's true, because we can't afford to go to the dentist because it's not under the it's not properly under the NHS. Anyway, and then the third thing, going back to the actual podcast, which is about baking, um, our ingredients, I think part of the reason why a lot of our ingredients are much higher quality than some places is because we are close to mainland Europe. 
So we, you know, people go on holiday to France and Italy and they're like, oh my goodness, the food is so much better here. Like, let's demand better food. Um, or for a long time, we've been following EU standards um, of, of food and we're kind of more used to that sort of quality. And I, I just think, yeah, when I've been on holiday to France, Spain and Italy in particular, that's kind of where I've been most. But it's true of many other countries too, I'm sure. Like the food is just better. Um, it's hard to sort of explain how or why, because I, again, there are lots of historical factors, I'm sure. But I will give you a couple of examples to show what I mean. So first example is when I was about 18, I was studying French at school. Um, and I went on a school trip to um, the north of France and my school had arranged for me to have to do some work experience in a French primary school, which was amazing. And my French was so much better at the time. My French now is not as good. So I was doing this work experience, like working with these really cute little French children. And for their lunch, this was a French state funded school they literally had a three course meal they had a kind of grated vegetable like salad to start they had like some carrot maybe a little bit of apple not really can't really remember quite frankly but it was dressed with like you know a bit of oil and like lemon juice or vinegar or something and they literally had a grated carrot and other stuff salad for their starter then they had some sort of fish or meat and vegetables and then they had like I think it was just a teeny tiny dessert it was literally like fromage frais or something um which is a type of yogurt weirdly doesn't sound like it, it fromage means cheese normally but um they had like a teeny little yogurt or something um for, for their dessert and I was just bowled over. I was like, I would literally be happy to eat this every day. Like, this is incredible. And it was just in a normal state French primary school. Um, another example, again, it's it, this is France again. I was on holiday in France as a child with my family. We stopped at a truck stop cafe, right? This is a cafe that is for people who drive lorries. And... Um, so you wouldn't think, you know, um, not that lorry drive drivers don't have amazing, great taste, but this is just like a working cafe. Like this is somewhere you go normally for your just like dinner, like when you're on the road, you're working. And we, I literally ate, um, it was, I think it was um, duck à l'orange. So uh, duck with an orange sauce. I had the most crispy chips that you can imagine. I had a salad with it. Um, not that healthy, that, that, that particular dinner, because um, duck isn't very healthy, but it was incredible. And I kid you not, like the wine that I had was like, I'd be like very happy to drink that anytime. Like I had a little glass of wine because in... We're, we're a lot more relaxed about people under the age drinking. 
especially if it's if you're with your family. I think I was about 13, 14. I had a little glass of wine. It was absolutely delicious. Like genuinely, uh, by that age, which is maybe slightly worrying, I already had a taste for wine, and it was genuinely good wine. And I'm sure my parents would agree. It was like really, it was really good. I just could I like I can't I can't get over like how the food standards are just so much higher like the food quality is higher and let's be real like that's why like they have a better diet that's why like you know in some countries people have don't have the same health problems like it's just the you know it's just uh, just it's just amazing and I think it's not because European people are superior or better than anyone else it's literally just like historical factors people demanding it people having people being organized and like that's yeah so I just it's I think if you can it's really worth visiting um France one day or Spain or Italy because the food quality is you will be bowled over by how good it is even just in a normal cafe like it's just so much better and I just it's something that I struggle to wrap my head around like the sort of culture of food is just so high um there's a lot of problems like there's a lot of racism in in a lot of European countries like there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people wouldn't want to live there um but one thing that they often do right is high quality food pretty good public transport uh that's a lot cheaper than here as well in places like Germany because it part, partly because it's sometimes subsidized and often better healthcare systems and like I just feel like this is this these are all these for me these are all like human rights like good food health transport these are just things that should just happen um so I don't I'm sorry for the, if this rant going completely off piste but I just wanted to share a couple of stories with you about um European food and I hope that's okay so um without one without making a sort of two hour long episode I've not left my time myself huge amount of time to actually look at recipes um so what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to focus on the creme patissiere recipe because actually I've made shoe pastry before so you can um look back at that but I've also uh put a recipe up on the most the latest post on the website so you can read the recipe there um so the read the website is flourbuttereggsugar.com um and yeah as i say there's a shoe pastry recipe there and it's the same as the shoe pastry recipe that i used for eclairs except i just shaped them into blobs instead um so for the creme patissiere so i was so basically i made these um shoe pastry puffs and then I wanted to try out a creme patissiere recipe um partly at the request of listener listener Lenny hello and I thought it would be a good time to try it out um and I thought I, I was in the supermarket and I saw some really nice looking passion fruit and I love passion fruit so I thought I'd try try those out with it but yeah you could flavor it with whatever you want obviously um so uh, so for the creme patissiere and this is something that this is 
something that's useful in different pastries. Um, it's useful in, um, what am I talking about? Like viennoiserie, so croissants, as well as choux type of arrangements. From what I can tell from looking at a lot of recipes, all that creme patissiere is, is a custard that is thickened both with egg yolks and with corn flour or corn starch. Um, and that's all it is. And it makes a very gelatinous, uh, a gelatinous custard, basically that's very like stable. So it's not gonna kind of like leak out of things as much because it's not as liquidy. That's really all it is. It's not even that appealing to look at, to be quite honest with you, because it's this kind of like gelatinous gloop. But it is very, very helpful and very useful in lots of different recipes. So that's why it's a kind of staple of like French baking or and other types of baking too. But it's not, I don't think it's anything that people should be intimidated by either. Um, I hope you don't find that kind of like a patronising thing. I'm just saying that it's something that people talk about as if it's this like really highfalutin, high concept, tricky, like master baker like thing, but it's actually just custard thickened with corn flour. That is li literally all it is, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, so yeah, let's, let's just get into it, shall we? So you want 300 milliliters of whole milk. And as we've said before, that is a 3.5% milk. I'm sure you could use a thinner milk. I don't think it really matters that much actually here. Um, if you want to use a slightly lower fat milk or that's what you've got available. Then you want um, about 60 to 80 grams of egg yolk. So I obviously use UK large, which is US extra large a lot of the time, like I said before. And that's how much you would get out of three to four large eggs. So I've adapted this from a Ruby Tando video, um, video recipe. We stand Ruby Tando here. But um, I added an extra yolk the second time I made it because I just love the richness and you know how much I love fat. Um, so yeah, three to four large eggs, UK large or US extra large, which is the same as 60 to 80 grams of egg yolk if you want to weigh the yolks instead. Um, and like I said before, to get a really lovely yellow, you want really high quality eggs that have like a really nice rich orange yolk. Um, so here I like to use St. Hughes or Clarence Court Mabel Pearlman eggs if I can get them. So in terms of my cream puffs, I used that creme patissiere to make a creme chaboost, which all that is is the creme patissiere mixed with some whipped cream. Um, so I used about 290 grams of double or heavy cream and I just whisked those together but a lot of recipes suggest that you fold them together so that you're not kind of knocking the air out of the, the um, heavy cream. Um, and I made it passion fruit flavoured simply by um, getting about six wrinkly passion fruit from the supermarket, wrinkly because those are the ones that are ripe and I cut those in half. I scraped out the filling uh, into a sieve, which was over a little bowl. Uh, I left that to strain for quite a while, um, and I sort of stirred it 
occasionally to try and squeeze out more juice. Um, and I just stirred that into the whipped cream before I added it to the pastry cream or creme, creme patissiere. Um, and that's how I like to do it. You can use the seeds. You can leave them in. You can add them back in. But it's just my preference. I'm not very keen on passion fruit seeds. Um, yes, that's what I did. And then I just put that. Um, I actually just spooned it into my cream puffs. But ideally, you would pipe it. Um, and that was my creme chaboost. So there are many, many uses for creme patissiere. Um, this week, I also made a sort of croissant dough or Danish pastry dough again. And I plopped a dessert spoon of creme pat into some squares of that. Um, and then I plopped a couple of raspberries on top of that and then sort of folded them up into little kind of enveloped type things with open ends. Um, my shaping was awful. <laughs> But yeah, you can use this it to make pan au raisin. You can use it to make um, it's something called orene aux abricots or abricotine, which is just um, a croissant dough with um, tinned apricot halves and creme patissiere. It's absolutely delicious. You can also top your pastries, you know, with almonds or other nuts. You could also use alongside things like lemon curd um you could use blueberries uh you can really kind of then take it take your imagination wherever you want um i'm definitely going to be trying out soon uh i'm going to try out making the orineos abrico um the apricot one thing and i'm going to probably try it with lemon curd at some point soon as well yeah so that's it Finally, as promised, I'm just going to mention briefly the chocolate dessert I made this week, which was just an easy weeknight dessert. So very, very different from making croissants from scratch, for example. Um, and it's just all it is, is an equal weights cake where you replace some of the flour with cocoa powder. Um, and then you stud the you stud it with bits of chocolate and bake it and then you eat it warm. So you've got this like warm kind of chocolatey, cakey, puddingy thing. It's really good, really simple, really delicious. It's just, it's something based on something my mum used to make. And I just find it very comforting to eat as a dessert when I've had a bad day. Um, not that you should necessarily use food to comfort yourself, but anyway, whatever, like sometimes we all do, I think. So easy, simple, delicious, comforting, warming, it's just a really good like standby dessert. So I've put that on the website in the latest post if you want to have a little look at that very, 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 very easy recipe. Um, so all that is left for me to do is talk about what is coming up. This has been a very packed episode. Hope you've found something to take away from it. Maybe something to try out in the kitchen. Um, so we've got two more weeks of pastry um, because there are five weeks in May. So it's quite a lot of pastry, uh, but I've really been like finding it useful to inc increase my skill level using this podcast as an excuse. So um, I'm going to be trying out Rough Puff. It's bizarre that I've made 
laminated puff pastry that's yeasted, which is basically croissant dough, um, successfully. And I've made an actual puff pastry uh, pretty successfully with the galette de roi that I made a while ago. But what I've failed to do successfully so far is to make rough puff, which is meant to be easier. So I'm going to try out a different method from what I tried out last time. And I will uh, talk about the trials and tribulations I went through and hopefully the successes <laughs> too and how that went for me, what I'm going to be using it in, etc, etc. So we're going to talk about rough puff and we're also going to talk about hot water crust, which I have never attempted. So that is what's coming up. Um, should be quite fun and exciting. And then after May, we're going to be changing formats. Um, so I'm changing jobs as well, by the way. So that's going to be interesting, trying to balance everything. But um, I feel that I've had a few people say to me that they'd quite like to hear more interviews. Um, I think it might be nice to hear that like conversational kind of thing rather than me just like ranting, which there's not necessarily anything wrong with but makes a nice change um so i i'm gonna tr i'm gonna be incorporating interviews more into the pod but in order to do that because i'm busy a lot of my you know a lot of people i know are quite busy it's gonna require a bit more from me on the editing side which i'm still quite crap at as you can probably tell um so i'm gonna move episodes to being fortnightly so episodes will be every other week um but a little bit more varied I guess I hope and we're gonna have some guests so I'm gonna be trying to get in touch with some people that I know who work in food who are obsessed with baking um that I've met in very various points in my life um, and chat to them about all things baking related. Um, yeah, so that's what's coming up. I can't tell you which guests yet because I've not yet organised it, but they will be great, I assure you. And if you've got any ideas of features that you'd like to see, of uh, people that you'd like me to interview, I can't guarantee that I can get them, but I can try. There's no, there's no harm trying. Um, if you would like to talk to me about something, just get in touch with me. So the email, as always, is flowerbuttereggssugar at gmail.com. There's also links to social media on our website, which is flowerbuttereggssugar.com. Um, so I think that's it. And I hope you have a really lovely uh, week. And I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care and happy baking. Bye.